Well, I'm thankful to be assembled with you this morning. We've uh, spent the last couple of weeks going through our articles of faith, and um, and so we're going to look at the church covenant. Originally, had planned to do that in one message, but uh, then figured I better not. Twelve points is a lot to try to cram into an hour, so we're going to do half of it today, half of it next week. Um, and again, you have this. Uh, uh, you have the, the the document of the church covenant in your your new directory, church directory that was uh, put out recently. It's also on the website now um, for you to uh, to access there if you'd like. So it's the it's the church covenant, the church covenant. When you think about it from a practical standpoint, the articles of faith just articulate what we what we believe, what we hold to. These are the uh, these are the essentials or the distinctives that we hold to as a church. These are the doctrines that we are unified around. And then from a practical standpoint, the church covenant is, um, is what we have come together and as members, this is what we covenant to do or this is what we agree or promise to do. The word covenant out of... Um, Webster's 1828 means to enter into a formal agreement to stipulate or to bind oneself by contract. So the church covenant, as um, you are uh, brought into membership and you go over the articles of faith, you go over the church covenant, uh, a commitment to the church covenant is really what makes church membership meaningful. Um, it is, I have committed myself to uh, these uh, 12 things, these, these 12 commitments uh, is what I'm making to God and to this assembly as far as the way I'm going to fulfill that. Um, so we're going to go through and I want to look at what each of these commitments are just to remind you of those things if you haven't read it recently. But then on each one, I also want to try to give you some practical ways to implement this church covenant, um, the different points uh, within the body. So the church covenant begins by just saying, by the enabling grace of God, we shall, and then the 12 articles are, are laid out there. So all of this is done, uh, not with self-effort, but all of this is done under the enabling grace of God, which means that we enter into this and we execute this prayerfully and dependently on the strength of God given to us through the power of the Spirit. Um, and uh, we don't do any of this, again, out of self-effort, self-will kind of a thing. That being said, we're all, we are actively committed uh, to uh, what we have agreed to here. So number one, article number one, we shall regularly attend the worship services. We shall regularly attend the worship services. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so this scriptural principle here of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When we're thinking about a church covenant, this is obvious, but I just want to point it out. The covenant that you're making is a covenant with the body here. Okay, so the the commitment is not... Uh, the covenant is not that I will assemble myself with somebody somewhere. The covenant is we will assemble here and we will assemble together. And that's going to be my primary commitment. Now, I understand there are times where uh, there are reasons for you to be gone and, and, and reasons that you would visit other places, and that's fine. But Primarily, what we're saying is, this is the body that I am committed to living out the rest of this covenant with. I mentioned this a couple of messages ago. Um, As far as a church covenant goes, uh, whoever originated this idea of having the members covenant together, promise together, commit together to these things, um, understood something that many people just don't think about. And that is, unless we are intentional and unless we are committed, these things just will not get done. You are not naturally committed to the things that are on this list. Okay. If they all came natural and if they were all normal. Now, now, as far as regular attendance of worship service, some of you have that in your habit and that's, you don't even think about it anymore, but somewhere along the way, somebody intentionally made that a habit. Um, and so the fact that we even have to covenant ourselves together and make a public commitment that this is what I'm committing to as I enter into the membership of this church means that it's going to take some intentionality, it's going to take some effort, and it may end up taking some rearranging as far as priorities and schedules and so forth and and so on. But the, the commitment is that we would regularly attend the worship services. The house of God, particularly this, this assembly, um, ought to be a priority. And, and, and what you're saying whenever you enter into uh, membership here is that I'm going to make it one. That, that whenever it comes to attendance, I'm going to do my best to be here. Psalm 122.1 said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 27.4, he says, One thing have I desired, that I would behold the beauty of the Lord in His house. And Psalm 92, uh, 12-14, and I'm going to have several references. If you don't catch them, just as always, if you want the notes, email me and I'll send them to you. Those who are, who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. They will bring forth fruit in old age. And, and so I, I, I recognize that 
there are some nuances to what's being referred to in the Psalms and what's being uh, what we think about as far as coming to uh, our worship service. But there is some parallel there, too. We ought to be committed to God's house. We ought to be committed to regular corporate worship. That ought to be a priority. And we ought to be committed to engaging in that corporate worship. Now, we've, we've talked about this off and on uh, in passing, uh, but, but you know, if you have this idea that, that assembling together and coming to the worship services are just for checking off a box, just to be able to punch the ticket or punch the time clock and say, I was here, um, you're certainly not going to have the same attitude that the psalmist had in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That is not going to be something that is a um, that brings uh, joy to your life. If you're thinking, I've got to punch this off the list to satisfy God and to, uh, and to be a good upstanding person. That's not the point. The reality is, is that we have the privilege of being able to come together corporately and pray to the one who redeemed us, to the one who gave his only son that we might be washed of our sins and that we might be sanctified through the spirit and that we might be brought more and more and more and more into the awareness of just what we've been given as far as our inheritance in Christ is concerned. And really, as we think about the regular worship services we're really being prepared and our appetites are being whetted more and more for what we're going to be doing for all eternity whenever we are with the Lord face to face. And so when you think about it that way, of course we would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Of course we would say, there's one thing that I have desired. So commitment number one, and, and without commitment number one, I would argue that the rest of the commitments you're not really going to be able to fulfill. You're not going to be able to do much with, not in a meaningful way anyway. Commitment number one is that, that you would regularly attend the worship services. Now, some practical implementations here. Just things to be thinking about. Um, number one. And, and, you know, all of these, there's some challenges to these and everybody may not be able to do all of these, but they're just ways that you could practically implement it. Number one, be intentional about prioritizing your attendance. So I said it already. The reason this is on a church covenant and the reason you would covenant yourself or enter into an agreement on this is because it's something that takes some intentionality. Now, here's some things to consider when we think about being intentional about prioritizing attendance. Number one, don't take a job that's going to require you to regularly work on Sunday. Okay, if you're going to be intentional about prioritizing your attendance, if you can at all help it, do not take a job that's going to require you to work regularly on Sundays. This is in the same vein, but... Do not commit to a team or to an activity that would require you to play on Sundays. 
So if we've covenanted that we're going to regularly attend the worship service, then we've got to try to avoid those things, those commitments that would be in competition with this commitment. Next, and again, we could come up with a bunch, but next, do your best not to schedule Sunday afternoon plans or events that would prevent you from attending the afternoon service. And, and that would really count for, for any of the other services. I realize on Wednesday there are work hours that can get in the way, but, but I'm talking about scheduling extra things or things that, that aren't, um, uh, uh, normal kinds of plans, things that are normal plans that would get in the way. And then aside from a providential hindrance, this is just another way of saying what we've said, aside from providential hindrances, plan to attend all the services. Okay? Regularly attending the worship service. Um, Now, as far as planning goes, look in Proverbs 21, because that's part of what it means to be intentional. It's part of what it means to... Um, to be wise, a wise individual is going to plan. If you don't plan out your priorities, you won't prioritize anything. Proverbs 21, verse 5, Proverbs 21, verse 5, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty, there's only want. Now, the thoughts, the word thoughts there could also be translated plans. So we could translate that verse, the plans of the diligent uh, tend only to plenteous, or what we would just say is success. So we ought to be making plans that would help us overcome some of the common obstacles that would keep us from getting here or that would keep us from getting here on time and participating in a meaningful way. Now, again, all these are just practical implementations. These aren't inspired. They're suggestions that would help you um, fulfill this commitment to regularly attend the worship service. So you've heard this before, but I'll just lay it out there again, if you're going to plan on being here and being here on time and being here ready to worship, go to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night. Okay. That's, a, that's a good plan if you have a difficult time when you get here um, uh, staying engaged. That's a good plan if you have a difficult time getting here and uh, on time and it's because you're just Uh, in a mad dash. So here's the second part to that. It's not just about going to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night. It's also about getting up at a decent hour on Sunday morning. So if service starts at 10 and you're waking up at 9.50, that's probably not going to work out. Okay, so just being intentional. Everybody lives in a different Location, so you you know what it takes for you to get here, but just those two things could make all the difference in the world if you if it's an obstacle for you to get here on time. Some of the other things that might be helpful, and again, none of this is inspired, but if we're thinking about planning and wisdom. Um, get your clothes 
picked out, ironed, and ready to go on Saturday night. Uh, sometimes that can take a lot of time, especially if you've got several kids to, to take care of. And, 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 and don't let all of it fall to one person. Husbands, get engaged and involved in helping your wife get prepared so that you can leave at a decent hour uh, to get here. Same would go if, as far as Sunday morning um, uh, or Sunday afternoon lunch. Uh, don't wait until Sunday morning to start looking to see what you might fix for lunch. Make a plan for that. Now, you know, some of you may do better being spontaneous than others, but just as a rule of thumb, the, the, the better you plan, uh, the more likely it is that you'll accomplish what you're trying to set out to accomplish. I've used this several times and I, I get a kick out of it. It's funny, but it's also an illustration of this. I can remember Brother Steve saying they used to start planning on Thursday to get to church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, with nine kids, I can see how that would be the case. But but the point was they were intentional about it and everybody had a job. If I remember right, there was a buddy system that happened and everybody was responsible for all this and implement that however you want to implement it. The point is, if we make a commitment that we're going to regularly attend the worship service and we're having a hard time with that, then Plan to overcome whatever obstacles are getting in your way. Number two. The commitment is that we would pray for each other. Commitment is to pray for one another. James chapter five. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, in the context here, the the, the, the kind of praying that James is talking about is the kind of prayer um, that would lead to um, healing, or at least for the intention of healing. So we're confessing our faults to one another, praying for one another that you may be healed. Uh, but the, the principle that he's, that he's basing this on at the very end of the passage, the very end of the verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, one of the most helpful things we can do for one another is commit to be praying for each other. Okay? And you know that I'm not a standoff guy when it comes to ministry. I like to roll up my sleeves. I like to be in the middle of it. I like to help people work through issues and those kinds of things. But prayer is worth more than all of the effort I could muster up in a week to try to help you walk through anything. Okay? And it's not because uh, I'm, I'm doing something in some unfaithful way. It's because outside of God's blessings and God's intervention in our lives, all the rest of it's just worthless. There's no power in it. And so we have all kinds of different 
Uh, and it, we'll talk about this when we get to the implementation part, but there's all kinds of different ways we can be praying for folks, all kinds of different needs in the church that we could be praying for. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul is working through this section on uh, spiritual warfare. When he's talking about uh, the uh, putting on the whole armor of God, all of it is is capped with verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, it wasn't that long ago that we were here talking about spiritual warfare. And the reality is every single person in this room is involved in some form of spiritual warfare, whether you know it or not, which means we have the opportunity to be praying for each other. There are times where we know what to pray for because people are asking and they're making those requests. There are times where we might not know specifically what to be praying for, and we're going to talk about some ways on the third point to, to, to maybe figure that out, but a commitment, a regular commitment to be praying for each other is part of what we sign up for when we say, I want to be an active member of this church. So let's think about some practical ways that we can implement this. I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, but number one, use your church directory and systematically work your way through it praying for every family. Okay, That's an easy one to do. You could pick one or two families a week and just work your way down the list praying for that family. Number two, attend and pay attention to Wednesday evening prayer requests and then intentionally pray through those during the week. Okay, That's a time that we specifically set aside for people to be able to give um, specific prayer requests and for specific needs and those kinds of things. So um, uh, that's helpful, particularly for this commitment that we would pray for each other. And then third... Check in on folks, whether it's at lunch or throughout the week, and just ask, how can we be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? Um, you know, there's there's plenty that... And I'm not advocating not checking in on folks. You should, but you know, there's plenty that you can be praying for, even if you don't have any real personal um, touch point throughout the week. Um like I said earlier, there's we're we're all in the middle of spiritual warfare. As far as the church goes, you ought to be praying on a regular basis um, for your pastor. And that's not a self-serving thing on my end. Uh, like I said earlier, outside of God's blessings, the best of our efforts amounts to nothing. So you ought to be praying that the Lord would would bless my studies, that the Lord would bless the messages, that the Lord would bless each member to be able to receive the message, that God would bless each member to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. We, whether, whether 
the, the individual is single, whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, all that comes with its uh, the respective burdens and trials and difficulties. And, and, and so if we just put a little bit of thought into this, you can come up with a whole lot that you can be praying about the particular members here. We've said before that strong churches are made of strong families. Okay? There's a ton of fodder for prayer that goes into that. None of us are, um, are, are, are hitting um, on all cylinders when it comes to the roles and responsibilities that we have in our families. By that, I just mean it doesn't come natural. We need help. And so just praying that the Lord would do that. Another, another way that can be helpful is, is to uh, get involved and get engaged in, in one of the Bible studies that we have going on, whether it's uh, the Monday night one here, whether it's the women's book study, whether it's the, uh, the, the one in uh, Saltillo or Tupelo that the younger guys are doing, um, getting to know folks on a personal level. So again, just the commitment to pray for each other. That's a commitment we make whenever we become a member here. Number three, Commitment that we would bear one another's burdens. That's out of Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Now, in the context here, this is talking about. Uh, a, a man or a woman, an individual who has been overtaken in a fault. This is someone, excuse me, who's being restored um, after they were entrapped by sin or fallen to sin. But the word that's used here for burdens, bear one another's burdens, the, the word used in this passage is just a general term. Uh, it just just really, it just means burdens in general. So uh, thinking about things like worries and temptations and doubts, sorrows, fears. To bear up under someone's burden is just to help them carry the load. Um, in a real practical sense, it just means this. Think about in a clear way. It's the commitment that you and I will not let a brother or sister in this church endure the burdens of sin or suffering all by themselves. It means whenever one person hurts, the entire body hurts. When one person suffers, the entire body suffers. Again, you think about that imagery, but the, the, the commitment is this. You will not, if we can help it, you will not suffer the burdens or struggle through the burdens of sin and suffering all by yourself. Now think about how this relates to something like Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verses 9 through 12, where it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, that they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, we, we often say um, the church is more like a hospital for sinners than a country club for righteous folks. That's part of what this commitment is all about. We should expect that we're going to have brothers and sisters who struggle with sin. Now the reason we should expect that is because that's going to be the reality for every single one of us until the day that we die. Now there are times where folks are overtaken or entrapped in a sin as Galatians 6 1 is talking about. And the question is, how are we going to respond when that's the case? Well, the commitment to bear one another's burdens is that if the brother or sister is willing, we're going to come alongside of them and we're going to help them. We're going to shoulder the load and walk them through. What does it look like to repent and what does it look like to walk free from this? Or or maybe it's the temptation or not the temptations, but maybe it's the difficulties and sufferings that we endure. You know, there's a lot of hard things. There's a lot of things that we bear. And as the church of God, we were never intended to bear it all by ourselves. Part of God's provisions, we've talked about this before, is, is, is the body. It's one another. So you think about passages like 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, through where it talks about the fact that we can comfort those with the comfort that we've been given. The reason God comforts us in all of our affliction is so that we might comfort others. So let's think about this bearing one another's burdens from a practical way. How can we practically implement this? Well, number one, and this is crucial. Number one, we have to pay attention and be aware of people's burdens within this assembly. That's got to be on your radar. You've got to pay attention to what's going on within the assembly. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier, but you can't do that if you're not here. Um, so right now, just think about this as far as opportunity goes. Helping people, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. We've got Sister Ann Davis who's battling cancer and the treatments that accompany that. We've got Lisa, that's Sister Diane's daughter, Sister Julie's sister who's battling cancer, is an MD Anderson. 
isolated from the rest of her family. Okay, We've got Sister Diane and Sister Julie in our congregation who are affected by that. We've got Sister Darlene Hardy who's had some health complication and has specifically asked for wisdom on how to handle some medical problems that she's having. We've got Sister Patsy Wallace who's recovering from surgery on her broken ankle. Sister Kirsten just had a baby, and while that's not a burden, that's a blessing that will come with some new burdens as far as roles, responsibilities, things that you have to adjust to. And so that's, I mean, that's just five right there. That's low-hanging fruit as far as opportunities for us to help bear one another's burdens. Um, You mothers understand the shock and sometimes despair that a new mama can go through as she's trying to adjust to what it means to go from not having any children to not having any sleep and a child. Okay. In the realm of suffering with this sort of a thing, a lot of times... The, the bearing one another's burdens and, and the, the help and edification can be done through just helping people understand what's normal, if that makes sense. It's not minimizing anything, but it's, it's helping up people understand what's normal in a situation like this. So, um, again, this is, this is, uh, not a, not something we might stumble into. This is something we've committed to actually do. So the second part of that, we've, we've named the, some five, five of the instances. That's not the only five, but it's five of the, the big ones that have been uh, public. Now, how can we bear one another's burdens? And here's some suggestions. Number one, uh, and, and this church is very good at this, um, acts of service. Taking meals, mowing lawns, doing laundry, so forth, so on. Just acts of service, helping, uh, helping financially, helping uh, relationally, whether that's uh, sending a card, making a call, sending a text, stopping by in person and having a conversation, um, helping spiritually. That's praying for someone, praying with someone. You know, it's a meaningful thing for you to just take the time to engage somebody and say, hey, I just want to pray with you. And spend three minutes or less. I'm not saying pray to the clock. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be a 30 minute prayer. Just a a quick check in, a quick prayer with somebody to let them know that you you love them and you're thinking about them and you care for them. Sharing a pertinent truth or portion of Scripture. Sharing a word of encouragement or hope. And, and whenever we were doing the comfort one another on Wednesday nights, we, we thought about a lot of these kinds of things. But helping from a spiritual standpoint. Okay, again, that's bearing one another's burdens. Those burdens, again, can be spiritual. They can be physical. It's a, it's a general word. Alright, number four. Number four. The commitment to not speak evil of one another and refuse to gossip about one of God's beloved. Not speaking evil of each other and refusing to gossip 
about one of God's beloved. And uh, said, well, we would never do that. Well, how did it make the list? Right? <laughs> so this is something that, again, you've got to be mindful of. We've got to give, uh, we've got to make a commitment to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And all these are really, they're, they're really uh, integrated as far as one building on another or at least being connected to another uh, as we uh, move through the list. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So it's this, this commitment that what comes out of our mouth would be um, for the purpose of ministering grace to the hearer or edifying, building up the hearer. Now, in an assembly... I don't care if it's small or large. It probably is a lot um, a lot easier with a smaller congregation. When I say smaller, I just mean a, a congregation small enough that you know everybody. And this is one of those congregations. It's probably easier for um, to get caught up in gossip and so forth and so on. In a congregation... You have all the fodder you could possibly need to gossip. I mentioned this whenever we were thinking about Titus a couple of weeks ago or a month or two ago. We all have quirks. That just goes with the that just goes with the territory. We all have these little personality quirks. We all have uh, areas where we're clumsy. We all have something that you could entertain yourself with. That isn't edifying. The commitment here is that I'm not going to zero in on your weakness. I'm not going to zero in on your quirks and then make sport of that with another brother or sister in a way that is tearing you down. The positive side is we're seeking to build one another up. Okay? We're speaking in a way that um, ministers grace to the hearer. So look in Proverbs, a couple of, couple of passages out of Proverbs here. Uh, Proverbs 12. Verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the, I'm sorry, but the tongue of the wise is health. So there are those, or at least you have the ability to, speak in such a way 
that it is like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is going to promote health. You know, it's easy to cut folks down. It's easy to zero in, again, on people's weaknesses. It's easy to do that. The fact that we believe that outside of Christ, we are all fallen and we are all under the curse of sin means we could go as long as we wanted to pointing out negative things in people's characters and in people's disposition, so forth, so on. But you have the choice. And, and, and the last commitment that we're looking at today is a commitment to grow in holiness. And, and just in case I, I have to go a little faster when we get there, holiness and wisdom are side by side. Okay, so to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness is the same thing as growing in wisdom. And it says that the tongue of the wise is going to promote health. We can look for sin and we can look for deficiencies in people's life, or we can look for God's grace that's at work in people's lives. And those who are wise are going to look for God's grace, seek to encourage Look in Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, 18. A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. In other words, a man that bears false witness against his neighbor causes destruction, pain and destruction. You say, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about gossiping. Well, gossip inevitably leads to stretching the truth a little bit, exaggerating an area a little bit. Okay? You, would, you get bored saying the same thing about the same thing. And uh, our, our retelling of stories, so forth and so on, it's destructive. So let's think about some practical implementations. Again, this is a promise that we've made. Commitment. Number one, out of James chapter 1, verse 19, where we're told to be slow to speak and quick to hear and slow to anger. The principle there is be thoughtful about what you say. Guard your tongue. Number two, if you're in a conversation that has turned to gossip, try to turn the conversation in an edifying direction. Seek to turn it. Change the subject. Number three, if someone is gossiping to you about someone under the guise of concern, then suggest that the two of you go to the brother or sister that's being spoken of and address the concern. You'll be surprised how quick that ends, folks coming to you with stuff. Uh, it really does. Uh, I have um, had lots of people get upset with me because they've brought a concern 
And I said, well, let's just go see. Let's go check it out. Let's go talk about it. Let's go fix it. Let's do what we need to do. And turns out it wasn't a concern. Number four, be intentional about using your words in an edifying way. Look for what God's grace is doing in an individual's life. Now, this doesn't mean that we throw discernment out the window. This doesn't mean that there's um, never a time where correction is needed or something needs to take place or even that you need to talk through that sort of a thing and, and try to get help. What it means is you're not using other people's weaknesses and flaws as your entertainment. Certainly not in the body of Christ. We are members of one another. And so the commitment is that we would love each other. And part of that is that we're not speaking evil of each other. We're not gossiping or making entertainment out of each other's weaknesses and flaws. Now, number five, this goes with what we just said in a broader way. Number five to seek at all times to promote unity and harmony in the church. To seek at all times to promote unity and harmony in the church. Now I know that in the, in the early days this, of this church, that unity was something that was hammered pretty hard and held highly. And there's a reason for that. Because when you lose the unity and the spirit of unity in the church, it's only a matter of time until you lose the whole church. Okay, There is no healthy church that is, that is full of divisions and schisms and arguments and suspicions and so forth and so on. Our commitment is that we're going to seek to promote unity. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3. Very familiar passage for us. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, just some reminders about this verse or this passage. Um, verse 2 tells us how it is that a church keeps its unity, and that says every member strives to grow in Christ-like character as it relates to humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance or tolerance with each other. Okay? Best case scenario in a fallen world, your relationships are going to require these four character qualities. You're going to have to be humble. Okay? Nobody thinks about you as much as you think about you. And if you come to church thinking that's not the case, unity's out the window. 
meekness or gentleness when something needs to be addressed. Patience, long-suffering, and then forbearing or tolerating. Again, the quirks and the different things that we can put up with as far as one another. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep. Now the word endeavoring there means making every effort to keep or to guard, that's really the word, to guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now we've said this before about this passage, but I want to remind you because it's a powerful reality. The Holy Spirit... So, so this verse 3 is not telling you to establish unity. It's telling you to guard it. The Holy Spirit has done everything that needs to be done in order for unity to be established here. Now, our job is to keep it. We say that another way. The Holy Spirit has done everything needed for this body to walk in unity. And the only ones who can mess that up are us. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty sobering thought. So, practical implementations here. Number one, we ought to value relationships and genuine fellowship within the body as infinitely more important than personal preferences. Unity is what takes place in relationship. Okay? And your preferences cannot get in the way of that. Now there are offenses that happen, real offenses that happen. And I'm just going to give some verse references and, and give the principle so we can move on. But when you're offended, now we're thinking about unity, when you're offended by a brother or a sister, you have some options. Number one, out of Proverbs 19.11, you ought to be willing to overlook an offense where you can. You ought to be able to overlook an offense when you can. There are plenty of times where we get offended about things that aren't really necessarily meant to be personal offenses. So if you can overlook, and it's not changing the way that you're thinking about or interacting with an individual, then, then you ought to do that. But, number two, out of Luke 17, verses 1 through 3, when an offense comes up and you can't overlook it, and that's fine, that happens, there are plenty of offenses that really don't need to be overlooked, that need to be resolved. If you're committed to the unity of the body then you're committed to going to the brother or sister who has offended you and resolving that conflict when necessary. Okay? And many of you have done that, and I'm thankful for it, but that's a commitment that has to be in place. And then if you're also, if you're committed to unity, this is just another, this is a character quality really, just another reality that has to be in play out of Proverbs 16.32. If you're committed to unity, you have got to be committed to exercising self-control. Okay? A body, each member of the body, has got to be able to exercise self-control because again, 
Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Somebody's going to say something you don't like. Somebody's going to have a preference that gets in the way of your preference. But if, if unity, that is, if we value the body over and above ourselves, then we need to be committed to choosing our battles wisely and then making sure that there is a clear scriptural basis behind the battles that we choose. Okay? You need to choose your battles wisely, and the ones you choose need to have a clear scriptural basis. All right, and then number six. Number six, endeavor to live. We have committed ourselves to endeavor to live a holy life before God and man. Holy life before God and man. Look in Leviticus 20, just for the principle here. Leviticus 20. In Leviticus 20, verse 7, Leviticus 20, verse 7, the command is to sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. So this is a this is a command that would be picked up in the New Testament. First Peter, chapter one, verse 15 says, be holy because God is holy. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Holiness is what we've been set aside for, okay? To be separate. Now, sanctify, to be set apart for a purpose. Holiness, really set aside for holiness is, again, this idea of being set apart for uh, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed through the renewing of our mind, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. This whole business of holiness um, is, is the purpose for which God has set you apart. Now we, in Psalm 114 this morning, just made the point at the outset that when it comes to redemption, God redeems His people for His own purpose. Okay? He doesn't save you and say, Enjoy your freedom to do whatever you want to do and, and uh, you know, just make sure you're having fun. He has called us to himself. He has set us apart that we might be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And you could go and there's all kinds of different imagery that we could throw into that. But when you think about it from a practical standpoint, the the. The real commitment is that we're not being transformed or we're not being, I'm sorry, conformed. We're not fashioning our lifestyle after the world. But we're seeking to be transformed or sanctified by the Word of God. Our manner of life, the King James uses the word conversation, but it just means your manner of life, the way that you live. 
is aligning with the principles and the precepts of Scripture. So that means if we're committed to living a holy life, that Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 is going to be a just a normal part of our daily living. Ephesians 4, 22, you put off concerning the former conversation or manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So it's a, it's a life that's committed to repenting or putting off, to being renewed in the spirit of your mind through the Word, and putting on or walking in righteousness. If we are endeavoring to live a holy life before God and man, we're not going to be sensitive about correction. Okay, if... If we're convicted by the Word or if we're corrected by the Word or if a brother or sister um, comes in the right spirit and corrects us, we're not going to be defensive about that. We're not going to be overly sensitive about that. Because our goal is not to live a life that no one ever speaks into. Our goal is to live a holy life. And we know that the Lord uses many times our brothers and sisters to help in that. So practical implementations here and you'll see the the way that this fits in with the other things we've already mentioned and you've heard this before you've heard me say it you've heard Robert say it just the practical implementation you can say a lot but the four B's that they use at Mighty Oaks is a very good way to think about practical implementation here are you going to endeavor to live a holy life before God then you need to be in scripture you need to be in scripture on a daily basis you need to be in prayer. Okay? If you're going to endeavor to live a holy life, you're not going to do it on your own. It's going to be the, it's going to be the power of the Spirit that is, is uh, uh, using the Word to sanctify you and transform you. You need to be in Scripture. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in church. Okay? You're going to live a holy life. A commitment to regular attendance is going to be part of that. And then you need to be in accountability. Like I said earlier, we can't be sensitive or defensive if our brothers and sisters are coming to us in the right spirit and they're seeking to encourage or correct. So we endeavor to live a holy life before God and man. So those are the first six as far as the church covenant goes. And again, the the purpose of this message and the next message on next Sunday is twofold. Number one, to just remind you and re-articulate what it is that we've covenanted ourselves to do or what we've signed up for as far as meaningful church membership. But then number two is to try to give you a little bit of thought or try to stir your mind a little bit on some practical ways that you can begin to implement these things or that you can add to the ways that you're already implementing these in uh, your interaction with the body. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank You for the church. We thank You particularly for this church, Ripley Primitive Baptist Church, that You have um, established and that You have um, uh, blessed. Father, we're thankful to be members here. And we pray that You would bless us uh, to... Um, to take seriously the vow we've made, the covenant we've made, 
that we would um, fulfill that. It's a covenant that we've made before you, but it's a covenant that we've made with each other. That we would be in regular attendance and that we would pray for each other. That we would intentionally seek to bear one another's burdens. Uh, Lord, that we would not gossip about one another. Uh, Father, that we would be serious about our holiness. Uh, and, and Lord, that we would be uh, committed to the other um, uh, points that are articulated on this document. Uh, Father, we confess we need your help for this, and so we pray for it. But I also pray that you would bless us to be intentional and that we would be active in fulfilling this vow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.